It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. First up, the California report. Governor Gavin Newsom asks for federal assistance as storms continue to pummel the state. We take a look at your local news and weather before KVMR's Felton Pruitt returns with the latest Nevada City Chamber report. Believe it or not, spring is here. And Stuart Baker, the executive director of the city's Chamber of Commerce, walks us through a calendar full of April activities. Then KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller brings news of a lunar discovery with the potential to make would-be space colonizers salivate. This is the California Report. I'm Mari Bolaños in San Francisco. Governor Newsom is asking the Biden administration to declare a major disaster for counties in California that have been impacted by the storms over the past month. That includes Monterey County, where residents in Pajaro have been asking for help from the state and federal government as they were finally let back into their community last week after the community flooded. During a recent briefing with Monterey County officials, Brian Ferguson with the State Office of Emergency Services explained why the process was taking longer than anticipated. If we thought we had the damage just in Monterey to proclaim just for Monterey, we'd move forward immediately with that. The preliminary numbers we're seeing right now aren't there, which is why we continue to add counties to try to get to the totals. The declaration also includes Calaveras, Kern, Los Angeles, Mariposa, San Benito, Santa Cruz, Tulare, and Tuolumne counties. If approved, the major disaster declaration would provide federal assistance for a number of services, including housing, medical, and legal services. The experience of climate-fueled storms since the turn of the year is lodged into the minds of Californians. Levee failures displaced thousands, blizzard conditions trapped people in their homes, hundreds of thousands lost power, and a vast inland California lake appeared. Climate scientists say the storms and flooding are just a fraction of what's expected in a warmer world. KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero explains from Pajaro. Antonio Hueso evacuated home in the dark of the night on March 12th when the Pajaro River levee failed a few miles from his two-story home. The cameras on his daisy yellow colored house caught the water submerging his street and then the first floor of his home. I checked my cameras, 8 o'clock, this is a second river. He lost his baby blue Ford F-150 to the murky mud water. It's the second time the 72-year-old's home has flooded because of levee failures. And he's now considering leaving his home of nearly five decades. I'll fix the house and uh, when the people forget this, <laughs> I sold my house and I move it to Madeira or Fresno, I don't know. But in a warming world, will a move to higher ground suffice? UCLA climate scientist Daniel Swain warns what Californians lived through in the past few months is only a taste of what's to come as atmospheric warming continues. As disruptive as this year's events have been, we're nowhere near close to a plausible worst-case storm and flood scenario for California. Swain is clear about the links between climate change and a significant increase in extreme flooding. In a study last year, Swain looked at the worst-case scenario, a weeks-long parade of extreme atmospheric rivers, which we didn't have this year. 
This can happen in any given year, but about once every 400 years. A megaflood of this magnitude would cost more than $1 trillion in damage. It could happen next year, or it might not happen for 100 years. The cumulative likelihood goes up with each passing year. If this pattern of back-to-back-to-back atmospheric rivers sounds familiar, it's because Californians are witnessing an echo of this. Swain said the main differences are that storms had breaks between them, and that none of the storms that beat up the state this time were extreme. And there are a lot of ways this winter where we've gotten lucky, believe it or not, but things weren't worse. We see is that it is possible to have years where there are multiple atmospheric rivers in a row that are much stronger than what we saw at any point this year. California is taking Swain's prediction seriously by potentially funding a modeling project to understand what this severe scenario would mean for flooding. This would give the state a heads up on just how severe a storm pattern could be, what's at risk of flooding, and who should evacuate. Michael Anderson is a state's climatologist. Unfortunately, Mother Nature kind of beat us to the punch here, but we're working on trying to develop a capability to kind of help us better understand how to recognize when things are scaling up so that you get the right level of response dialed in, and it's a tool we don't have right now. The model could be completed in a year once approved. But for people living with current flood impacts from failed levees, the project is already late. The squishy sound is still water being here and mud. Demia Ascutia woke up to the sound of water trickling into her room hours after the Pajaro levee broke. My feet touched the rug and the rug was wet. Escutia is 18 and is questioning whether Pajaro can remain home due to the growing flood risk because of the changing climate. What do you think your future will look like if you stay here? My future, I feel like it will look like gone. Gone, because the climate the levee was designed for no longer exists. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero in Pajaro. The state's major reservoirs have been filling up this year from all the rain we've been getting. And now, for the first time in three years, the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California is replenishing the region's largest reservoir. Under extreme drought conditions, water supplies at Diamond Valley Lake in Riverside County have been severely depleted. Adele Hushkalil is general manager of the Metropolitan Water District. So what we wanted to do is ensure that we have water. This, this reservoir helped us during the last few years match and, and cover the deficit that we're dealing with. It almost went down to half. Now, with increased water allocations from the state, the expectation is that the water district will be able to fill the reservoir to near capacity this year. Still, Hush Khalil warns that the district is looking to save every drop possible from this wet season because he fears the next dry cycle could be even more severe than the previous one. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. The California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines their pursuit of good health. On the web at chcf.org backslash lbca. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health. On the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, March 29th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Let's take a look at today's local news. For those who didn't hear KBMR News Director Claudio Mendoza's discussion with Nevada County Sheriff's Public Information Officer Leslie Williams, we have a recap on the ongoing investigation over decomposed human remains found near a hiking trail next to I-80 in Nevada County. Dispatchers received a call from someone several miles east of Truckee near Farad Road and I-80 around 6.30 p.m. on Monday. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office says the caller reported finding, quote, severely decomposed human remains. The body was found near a section of the Tahoe Pyramid Trail, a partially constructed 114-mile long-distance pedestrian and bicycle trail. The trail, which has not been completed due to land disputes, runs between Lake Tahoe and Pyramid Lake, mainly following the course of the Truckee River. Upon receiving the call, Nevada County deputies, detectives from the Sheriff's Major Crimes Unit, and California Highway Patrol officers drove to the trail and began investigating the area. They confirmed the remains to be human. Sheriff's officials say there's advanced decomposition and no identifying information for the person. Deputies secured the scene overnight and the investigation resumed Tuesday morning. An FBI evidence response team, an anthropologist from Chico State's Human Identification Lab, the Nevada County Search and Rescue Evidence Team, and sheriff's detectives were at the scene Tuesday. Sheriff's officials say the scene is still being processed and ask residents to use caution if traveling in that area. In a press release today, the Nevada County Sheriff's Office says investigators have arrested 41-year-old Patrick Myers of Grass Valley. Myers was taken into custody on Monday for the manufacturing of a controlled substance following the discovery of an illegal butane honey oil lab, also known as butane hash oil, at Myers' residence in the 16,000 block of Greenhorn Road. According to Reuters, a dab of hash oil can contain up to 90% THC, more than four times the strength of typical marijuana buds. Making hash oil can be lucrative. YouTube videos demonstrate how to strip the psychoactive THC compounds from marijuana using a PVC pipe, a coffee filter, and a $4 can of butane. However, the business is exceedingly risky. Butane, which is odorless and heavier than air, can build up quickly in enclosed spaces until a small spark from any household appliance sets off an explosion that can knock a structure off its foundation. Around 10 a.m. on Monday, the Nevada County Sheriff's Office Major Crimes and Special Investigations Units, with assistance from the Grass Valley Police Department and Sacramento Sheriff's Office High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Task Force, served a search warrant at the Greenhorn Road home, where they located and disassembled a functioning illegal butane honey oil lab. During the search, detectives located over 600 pounds of marijuana cola and plant material and over 5 pounds of processed honey oil. Myers was booked into the Wayne Brown Correctional Facility in Nevada City for manufacturing a controlled substance with a bail of $35,000. Sierra Roots in the County of Nevada are activating the cold weather shelter protocol for tonight due to low temperatures forecast by the National Weather Service. 
The shelter opened at 4.30 p.m. at the lower level of the Veterans Hall on 415 North Pine Street in Nevada City. It will accept guests until 8 p.m. The shelter will close at 7.30 a.m. tomorrow. Now on to your local forecast from the National Weather Service. Drier weather is expected Thursday and Friday. However, chances of precipitation return over the weekend and continue into next week. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 30 degrees. A chance of rain showers possibly mixing with snow after 9 p.m., then gradually ending. A 40% chance of precipitation tonight. Little or no snow accumulation is expected. Thunder is possible, patchy fog after 10 p.m. Thursday, partly sunny with a high near 48. Patchy fog and widespread frost before 9 a.m. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 15 degrees. Snow showers likely mainly before 9 p.m. New snow accumulation of less than one inch is possible. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 37. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement for the Truckee Tahoe region this evening. Bands of snow are possible in western Nevada tonight. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 42 degrees. A chance of showers and thunderstorms before 9 p.m., new precipitation amounts between a tenth and a quarter of an inch. Thursday, partly sunny with a high near 59. Patchy fog between 8 and 9 a.m. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The snow currently surrounding much of Nevada County may tell a different tale, but technically spring has sprung. And KVMR's Felton Pruitt is here with a slew of springtime activities heading to Nevada City throughout April. We're talking with Stuart Baker. He's the executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce, and he lets us know what's happening in our fine town. Stuart, what is happening in our fine town? Well, I know everyone is so desperate to have spring actually happen, and we have lots of activities that will celebrate that also important change of seasons this time of year. First of all, springtime at Ananda is happening through the month of April, and they have something like, I think they're up to 18,000 tulips on display, and you can get tickets at the Chamber website, which is www.nevadacitychamber.com. They'll have all sorts of events going on there as well. On the 6th of April, we also have Town Beautification Day in Nevada City, and that's going from 8 a.m. to 12 noon. And you just have to show up and we're meeting at the Commercial Street lot, which is right up above uh, York Street. And all you need to do is bring some comfortable clothes that you're okay getting a little dirty and uh, activities will include everything from doing some gardening and some weeding to doing curb painting, things like that. So there's, uh, yeah, something for everyone. And, and I know it's a really, it's, it's a really feel good event. Secondly, we have on April 13th, we have a the Folk Trails Hiking Club meets monthly in front of our offices at Robinson Plaza. And there's going to be a Trees of Nevada City tour from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. And uh, again, that's on the 13th of April on a Thursday and uh, a nice uh, leisurely tour enjoying the, uh, the beautiful trees that Nevada City offers us to enjoy. 
And lastly, on the uh, outdoor Earth theme is EarthFest, and that's coming on April 23rd, and it's going to be from 10 to 3. It's our second annual event focused on celebrating the Earth and the environment. This year, we've expanded greatly because of the demand from last year. We have 50 eco-focused vendors. We're going to have a rock climbing wall. We're going to have electric car show as well as an electric bike show. Where is the Earth Fest going to happen? It's all up and down uh, Broad Street and North Pine. So all throughout the downtown, it's looking to be a really fun event. And by then, I think we can firmly say spring will be here in, in its best glory. And you're promising perfect weather for that day, right? <laughs> hey, I promised perfect weather for uh, Mardi Gras, and it happened. And uh, it didn't say anything about the three feet of snow we'd get in the week following. So we will do our best to give you gorgeous sunny skies and mild temperatures. All right. Well, what else you got for us in our city, Stuart? Well, I think that kind of covers what we're doing, at least as far as April is concerned. We're just doing our best to keep things going. And, and uh, you know, we just encourage everyone to come down. Businesses are still with post-storm recovery. You know, their recovery is still underway because they've lost a lot of business. So if you feel like you want to support your favorites, any kind of store, restaurant, etc., it will be greatly appreciated because these folks have really gone through some tough times. So um, coming down, supporting all the things you love in Nevada City is uh, very much appreciated and, and very needed right now. All this information is on the Chamber's website. Give that for them one more time. Yes, absolutely. It is www.nevadacitychamber.com. All right. We've been talking with Stuart Baker, the Executive Director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. Thanks for all you do, Stuart. Hey, no problem, Felton. The one thing colonies on the moon will need for sure, water. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller brings news of a big lunar discovery. The details up ahead. Water is heavy, over eight pounds per gallon, which means planning a backpacking trip as much as possible to work out ways to find water along the way. Lakes and streams in the lower elevations, melting snow in the high Sierra. Backpacking the desert is a tougher trick. I've never collected it to drink, but I have found that if you dig just a foot or so down into a sand dune, this in Southern California's Mojave, just a foot or so below the surface of a dune in the Mojave Desert, the sand is moist. So, if need be, one should be able to harvest water, at least in that part of the desert. The moon is drier than any desert on Earth. And yet, for some decades, robot explorers have been finding signs of ice in parts of the moon that are in permanent shade where the sun never shines. And for more decades yet, from the moon rocks brought back by Apollo astronauts in the late 1960s, early 1970s, in rocks examined by robotic explorers, scientists have found evidence for water in the rocks themselves. In a paper published this week, in the journal Nature Geoscience, lunar samples returned by a Chinese robot explorer have provided clues. The water was found in tiny, very tiny, beads of glass scattered through the lunar soil. We're all familiar with carrying water in a vessel in a container made of glass. 
but the water described this week was not like that. This was not liquid water. This water was dissolved in the glass, in the solid glass itself. So how did water get into glass beads? And how did glass beads get into soil on the moon? The Chinese scientists list some possibilities. Getting glass beads into lunar soil is straightforward. Here in the foothills, we're surrounded by granite, the salt and pepper rock. Granite's salt and pepper pattern is made up of crystals of light and dark minerals. The rock used to be liquid, used to be magma. Seeing crystals that big tells us that the magma solidified, it cooled very, very slowly, giving the crystals time to grow, grow big enough to see with our eyes. If a mineral cools quickly, too quickly for crystals to grow that large, the result is a glass. The moon is under constant bombardment. Space rocks are always slamming into the moon's surface, slamming in so fast they melt what they hit. That melted rock then gets splashed upward, gets splashed all over the place. As it's flying across the moon, it cools, cools quickly, forming glass beads. As those hot, still liquid beads fly this way and that across the moon, they're bathed in sunlight. And they're also bathed in something else coming off the sun, the solar wind, a wind of charged particles, a wind of hydrogen nuclei. These hydrogen nuclei, when they hit those hot glass beads, they latch on to whatever oxygen atoms they can find in the glass. Hydrogen plus oxygen makes H2O. They're making water on the fly. As the beads cool, as they solidify, that water is frozen in. It is captured within the solid glass bead. This is one hypothesis, one educated guess the Chinese scientists have come up with, perhaps the best of their hypotheses. It fits with other evidence found in moon rocks. And it means that when humans are living on the moon, in a moon base, probably in half a dozen moon bases, and they need water, perhaps they will not have to carry that water up from Earth. Perhaps they can harvest that water from beads in the lunar soil itself. Remember, though, that water trapped in the rock is not liquid. It's trapped as tiny molecules of water here and there dissolved in the solid glass bead. So pulling that water out would be something like if you wanted a chocolate bar, but all you had were chocolate chip cookies. You'd have to pull all the chips out of each and every cookie. That's how it would be to harvest water from glass beads in the lunar soil. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for Wednesday, March 29th. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Sierra Ambulatory Surgery Center, LLC, providing outpatient ophthalmic surgical procedures, interventional pain management, also surgeries of the foot and ankle since 2006. On Sierra College Drive, Grass Valley, Sierra Ambulatory Surgery Center at sasconline.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. 
As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Thursday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank <laughs> you.